0: Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And we have a new year. This week it's a new show with a new guest and something else new. We're going to start with the shout outs this week. And our first shout out goes to the Las Vegas Raiders. Congratulations, you made us wait up. But you got in the playoffs, and that means Carl Nassib is going to play in a playoff game. Now, wasn't the first active, openly gay player in the history of the NFL supposed to be this big distraction? Ah, uh, no. Carl, hurry up, and please, clear COVID protocols so you can get out there against those Bengals. I know, this Pittsburgh Steelers fan says, thank you, Raiders. Thank you, thank you, for not ending that game in a tie. Even though you took me all the way to the wire. Cool thing of the week. Now, Brittany Bowe has won a lot of medals. Has a great chance to win the gold medal at 500 meters. She's never won an Olympic gold. Now, her friend Aaron Jackson has been number one in the 500 meters all year, except for one little problem. Aaron had a mishap and crash out of the 500 meters at the US Olympic speed skating trials can't go. So Brittany Bo says, you know what, my 500 meter slot, give it to Aaron Jackson. I don't know if I could have done it, but Brittany Bo, you did it. Good on you. Also, NASCAR announced last week that it's going to partner with the Carolinas LGBT plus chamber of commerce. To be the organization's diversity equity and inclusion partner for 2022 now zach heron a driver in the arca series openly gay is gonna gonna race next year there's also another guy who team owners uh devin rouse kid in iowa pretty good driver last of her kind of looking for a seat got an open seat give him a look also much love to yale swimmers Isaac Hennick, and Penn swimmer Leah Thomas for some fine performances in their respective twin dual meets with Dartmouth last week. Now, Thomas, up at the University of Pennsylvania over the weekend, won the 200 free and the 500 free. The times were not as fast as the ones that got so many people bent over this last month or so. Hennick got wins in the 50 freestyle and the 100 freestyle. By the way, Hennick and Thomas were in the same heat in the 100 freestyle. Of course, Hennick won. Leah Thomas came home sixth. Now, also important, this was senior day for Penn Swimming and for Leah Thomas. After the ceremony, senior day, had a big team picture and there was one person who wasn't from Penn in the picture. It was Hennick standing next to Thomas, perhaps in an understated show of solidarity in what's been a difficult time. Now, of course, some felt the need to extend the difficulties of the last couple months to this past weekend at Penn, between Penn, Yale, and Dartmouth. Now, including the Daily Mail, or as I like to call them, the Daily Fail, and I've got a bone to pick with the Daily Fail, because a couple weeks ago, when the University of Pennsylvania swim team went down to Florida for some post-Christmas training. There was somebody from the Daily Fail apparently taking spy photos from a distance and all those photos it seemed were of the women's swim team. I'm talking those paparazzi type photos behind a fence with a good high powered lens taking these pictures of young college girls in swimsuits. Now I find what the Daily Fail did creepy and repugnant, and they ought to be ashamed. And just as bad as that is just the continuing monster movie that people are trying to make out of all this, out of Leah Thomas performing and being on the team, a team that she has the right to be on, under NCAA rules. And things got wilder with this last dual meet because so many people were looking for drama, because it's the final me of the season. You heard about all the, the controversy and the hype about teammates not liking it, parents not liking it, and notice how none of these people seem to have names. Just saying. And you have all these headlines like, Trans Swimmer Crushes Leah Thomas. Because, after all, Yale has a transgender student-athlete on their team, and Thomas and Hennick as I said a few minutes ago, raced against each other. You heard a lot of calls about now there's two cheaters, not just one. And you have two cheating trans men, cheating women. And there was one of those on a comment of a story that I wrote on the meet. I got a comment from somebody whose screen name is Drat, Drat and Double Drat. Oh, a lot of Dick Dastardly fandom there. It reads, whilst not particularly denigrating either athlete's success and fully understanding the NCAA's rules of eligibility and not commenting to create disharmony, but failed to see how intellectually and logically both a trans man and a trans woman can both not only win events that evening, but compete in the same race. Well, all I can say... Mr. Dastardly, is this. If you fully understood the NCAA's rules of eligibility and wasn't trying to create any disharmony, you could see how it's pretty easy how a trans man and a trans woman can win events at a swim meet that they're both eligible by NCAA rules that you say you understand to be in. And there is a matter that they can't compete in the same race. Partially because of a lot of people that don't quite understand the rules, nor know the backstory, which is par for the course for a lot of people. Isaac Hennick came out as a transgender man last year during the canceled season when there was no Ivy League swimming thanks to the coronavirus crisis. Now, Isaac, under NCAA rules, does have the option of continuing on the women's team if he doesn't start affirming hormone replacement therapy, which he chose not to, mainly because he wanted to be a part of the team that he's been close to for the last three years for one last ride and a shot at an overall team Ivy League championship. What Isaac said in an article in the New York Times over the summer, which effectively was a public coming out for him, He said, quote, I value my contributions to the team and recognize that my boyhood doesn't hinge on whether there's more or less testosterone running through my veins. At least that's what I'll try to remember when I put on the women's swimsuit for competition and am reminded of a self I no longer feel attached to. That quote is central. In terms of one of the things that a lot of people on social media have done in this particular situation, especially, basically, they see trans people as just all pretty much the same. Another trans man who is a collegiate athlete, Mac Beggs, last year on this podcast talked about this phenomenon. People don't know what a trans female is or a trans male is. For instance, the picture with me
1: looking like i'm cutting my friend's throat in a wrestling match thinks that i'm a trans trans female in that photo i was like they thought i was biologically born a male transitioning to be female
0: keep that in mind as we bring in our guest for this week there have been a lot of voices speaking usually voices that have been pretty much anti-trans you know like Fox News, Outkick, Megan Kelly had a show on this recently, and as expected, it was pretty much transphobic. And of course, we all know about the Daily Fail and those spy photos and their misgendering and deadnaming and demeaning. But last week, other voices spoke out, voices that frankly needed to speak out before. Voices like Penn Athletics, who issued a statement supporting their student-athlete, the Ivy League. Spoke out and gave a supportive statement as well. But also, giving their support was a group of law students at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. And not only did they make a statement, they sent a letter writing out chapter and verse on why Leah Thomas is eligible to compete, why Leah Thomas should compete, and most importantly, why she should be treated with human decency, dignity, and respect. And one of the leaders of that effort is a person who's been dealing with these matters of inclusion in her own life and in her own ventures in sport. Maya Reddy, before she became a law student at the University of Pennsylvania, was a three-time NCAA Division III All-American at Claremont McKenna College. And in 2015, she turned pro. She played on both the Cactus and National Women's Golf Association tours Gained status on the Symmetra Tour and was looking to perhaps build a career in the Symmetra Tour and at the next step up, the LPGA Tour. But she decided not to play. And the main reason why was the matter of racism, homophobia, being queer in a sport that wasn't quite ready for it. And those experiences have not only been a fulcrum of her life going forward, it's been the fulcrum of her work. And her scholarship. But enough of me talking about it. It's time to bring her in. From the University of Pennsylvania Law School, soon to be a graduate, knock on wood. Maya Reddy, welcome to the transporter room. Energize.
1: Hey Carly, I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, it is great to have you here. Welcome to the Transporter Room. And what led you and this group of students to get in this issue? At one level, some people say it's not your fight, but what led you and the law school to get in it?
1: I mean, it is our fight. Uh, trans. I, I'm a cis woman who's queer, or brown. I've, well, as you had mentioned, you know, I've experienced a whole host of discrimination on all of my various identities when I was playing golf. And so, and I just wanted to play the sport that I loved and kind of seeing how playing sports, just being able to play a game. Cause at the end of the day, as much as I love sports, kind of stupid, <laughs> you're just hitting a ball around uh, for golf, right? You're hitting a ball around to get into a tiny hole, kind of lame, uh, love it kind of lame, Um, but we're seeing all of these attacks on just the right to play, the ability for kids to play, and for me, that's not just solely an issue about that hurts trans folks, it's not solely an issue that hurts queer folks. Um, Speaking about Leah Thomas, right, it's not just an issue that affects undergraduate elite swimmers or elite athletes, for us, it's really looking at the fact that these legislative attacks are um, singling out a group of people uh, because a lot of legislators don't like them. Um, And I think for us as law students, a lot of conversations that myself and, and the group of us who spearheaded this effort had was looking at the ways in which these anti-trans bills dovetail into issues of reproductive justice, race, and um, disability rights. Because when you're looking at it, it's really attacking bodily autonomy the ability for folks to enter a space and to just simply exist and simply play and have fun. Um, and along with that, when you're looking at the NCAA policy, the IOC's policy, um, there are very specific hormone uh, requirements that of course, of course for me and, and my, my classmates who kind of, we wrote this together, it's like, yes, not only is this bodily autonomy, but that is necessarily going to implicate reproductive justice and access to medical, you know, care, um, which again involves disability rights as well. So this is kind of this linchpin issue that for us, it's kind of like okay, it's a Trojan horse. These legislators, these assholes. Sorry for my <laughs> language. Um, no.
0: You- it, it's apropos. It's a, after <laughs> all we we gave an award a couple of weeks ago called the asshole of the year award, and okay, we right. had so one group assholes. that was actually proud. Yeah, but and we had one group that that tweeted us back and said we're proud. Thank you for the award. We're proud of it. We're honored. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a lot. What was was there like a particular incident? Was there something that? kind of got you motivated to say, no, we need to speak out. We need to speak out now.
1: We have a responsibility as law students, as folks within the legal profession uh, to say something, um, to advocate for um, the trans community, especially when these attacks are coming from a legal basis. There was this one person who was in the Penn Law Review's mentions um, with this hashtag saying Penn Cheats, uh, you know, addressing Leah. Um, And this person kept saying, this is illegal, like this is against Title IX, like I want to see the courts take this up. And it's like, okay, the courts have taken this up. This is not illegal. Um, And, you know, for me on a personal level, I'm just like, I am not going to stand by and see people, you know, willy-nilly throw around these um, really bad faith references to the law, which they don't really know that much about as a way to... I guess, in their minds, validate their claims and kind of use the the trump card, so to speak, of <laughs> the law. Good pun. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. These transphobic statements are in the mentions of our law review. So people are clearly looking at the law school or these journals as powerful institutions to say something. And so we were talking about how do we utilize that to say, nope, you guys are being assholes. Um,
0: and that's kind of like how this idea formed Hashtag pen cheats. Just gut reaction to that. Oh, it's bullshit! Like, there's no, no, that's pen
1: cheats or the inclusion of trans folks equals cheating. It's just, it doesn't make sense. It's not. It it's not a thing.
0: Like, how do you? No, it's not a thing. It is, it's not it is a thing a, at all. Especially when I have, like, I have a rule that when people say, for example, Leah's cheating, or there's a cheater, or Leah's cheating, or Dr. Veronica Ivy's cheating, or Cece Telfer, they're cheating. I always point to, okay, if they're cheating, cheating means you encroached against the rule. So show me where the rule was broken. Get me the NCAA rule yeah. book. I'll even give you a link to it if you need it and show me where it is. And no one can ever, no one can ever do it. And I said, I can save you the trouble. You won't find it. I was pissed.
1: (laughs) I don't know how, like, I'm so angry every time I see, um, like you were saying for a really long time, it was a lot of um, right-wing news outlets that were covering Leah um, in vitriolic ways. Um, And that pissed me off because it was just like, dude, Leah just wants to swim, and now all of a sudden, just by virtue of being a trans person, she's being thrust into this very the spotlight that I, I, I'm sure she may have not asked to be in, especially one that is so dominated by um, transphobia and hate.
0: How much of what you saw here And what got in that letter, in some ways, comes from your own sporting experience. I'm still
1: going through a lot of God bless therapy and, and helping me kind of process my experiences with golf. But, you know, like, I know what it feels like to not feel welcome in your sport and to have your sport say in all of these different ways from, you know, the microaggressions to the blatant aggressions, um, that you don't belong. And all you want to do, all I've ever wanted to do is play golf. Like, I'm sorry. I, I guess at the heart of hearts, I'm just a retired old white man who's in law school and plays golf. Um, but I mean, like, I just wanted to play my sport and I was damn good at it. I still am good at it, but everywhere I looked in my sport, said that i didn't belong or you know i wasn't even able to kind of look um at the LPG. like of course annika sorenstam of course michelle we like icons people that i looked up to and at the same time i didn't see people that either looked like me or were speaking about like acknowledging the existence of queer people um and so I very intimately know what it feels like to not belong or to be, to know that you belong and, and be told that you don't belong or you're not welcome. And I, I don't know, for me, it's just like, I don't, I wish I could go back and change that for myself. Like, I wish that the world that we're living in now, and it's not perfect, but there is, Significantly more inclusion than there was when I was playing, which was like what well, only five or six years ago. Um, but still, it, it's completely different. And I think that that's kind of the driving thing for me. It's like I know, like you belong. We all belong in sports, and to have sports once again, the stupid thing that I love, say that you don't belong is is just batshit insane. Um, and so, and I think like what you were talking about earlier about cheating, um, yeah, like I, it's like, it minimizes the hard work that every athlete puts into their sport. Um, and it equates someone's authentic identity, being able to celebrate and fully be who they are, um, to what, like the Deceptive nature of taking performance-enhancing drugs, and they are not the same fucking thing. And to me, that's <laughs> just like I—I I just started like boxing, and so it makes me want to just go and like punch my punching bag because <laughs> what, like, you're telling all of these attacks, all of these kind of um, all this rhetoric around cheating is basically saying. If you are your authentic self, if you are truly who you are, then that's cheating.
0: In the case of this letter, what's the next step for the effort that you've been a part of and that this group of students have been a part of and these organizations have been a part of? What's next as far as the law school in this issue? Because it's going to continue all the way to NCAA championships in March.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that the next steps are, I I mean, I feel bummed that I'm graduating and and that I I won't be able to be here to keep kind of fighting the fight within the school. But I mean, I really think that it's going to continue being the law students uh, taking a stance and, and saying that this is not okay, combating the fact that There are, like I had mentioned, a lot of bad faith legal arguments being made Um, and using the fact that, hey, you know, we may just be law students, but we still know the law. Like, we know the law more so than the keyboard warriors on Twitter. Um, And we go to the institution that, you know, we're a part of the institution that is going to the, the NCAA championships that... And and I think that it is important for us to continue taking a stance and continue, you know, not only making it clear that we support athletes, uh, trans athletes like Leah, um, but that we support trans folks within our institution, period. Um, Because like I had mentioned earlier, law schools um, are not very welcoming of marginalized people. Like that's just how the institution has been. And and there have been, there are lots of folks making changes, but not only is taking a stand, um, supporting Leah and trans athletes very, very important, but it's also really important in demonstrating that law students, folks at the school support, recognize, and, love trans folks.
0: More than five years since you were pursuing your own dreams in sport. And we'll be getting to more deeper in that in more detail a little bit later. But do you feel that we have taken steps forward? Where do you feel we are? Even in this time where we had the Olympics and in inclusion and and as we're speaking right now, uh in a few days' time, you're going to have an NFL playoff game kick off with an out gay man on the field for it. Go, Carl. But, yeah. <laughs> Still, where do you feel we are as a queer athlete who's been in the arena? Have we moved forward? And if so, have we truly moved forward? I mean, I, I think we have moved forward in terms of visibility.
1: And, and visibility is important. It's not everything, um, but it's kind of the gate, the entry point. Um, and it, it's an important entry point. And I think, you know, especially with the Olympics this year, when we had so many, I mean, like Quinn fucking won a gold medal. That's amazing. Um, you have Alana Smith, uh, kicking ass on skateboarding. Um, Laurel Hubbard also, like, I just, I'm also a weightlifter. And so I'm just like, Laurel, teach me, um, <laughs> because that's really amazing. Um, and also with Alana, I'm like, I want to skateboard. I want to be as cool as you guys. Uh, but I mean, I think that visibility is important because it is showing people that trans and queer athletes are athletes like any other athlete. And we can win and lose and qualify for the Olympics, not qualified for the Olympics like any other athlete. And I think that's really important because it puts a face to um it puts real people to uh, to the name of this kind of identity that not a lot of people may be interacting with on a day-to-day basis.
0: You're hearing the red alert klaxons, that means got to take a break, give love to the sponsors, but when we come back more with Maya Reddy and we're going to look more into her journey as an athlete and how that has affected her journey now. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb, along with our guest, Maya Reddy, NCAA Division Three Golf All-American, former professional golfer, and now law student at the University of Pennsylvania. I want to take it back. I want to get back in the way back machine for a minute. There's this kid I know from Redding, California. <laughs> who is really good on a golf course. What was it like for you? Because I had asked earlier about how much of your own experience played into this and you don't look like somebody who belongs on a golf course. That's what some people are going to say. You're too brown, you're too South Asian, you don't quite fit into what that stereotype golf look is supposed to be, so to speak, to some people. What was it like for you stepping on those courses, say in high school, in and co- especially in college? I mean, in, in Reading, I think, uh, so Megan
1: Rupino is also from Reading, and I like to think that we're best friends, even though... We only met once in a coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she describes reading really well in her book, uh, but it is this tiny Northern California town that is predominantly white, Trump country. Um, there are very few South Asian families at least when I was growing up. Um, and so it was very clear that I was the odd one out and. Um, in a lot of spaces Uh, but sports were really kind of this incredible shield for me Um, and I think especially golf because it was like I started to be known as a really good golfer and people were seeing that first um, and, and not paying as much attention on my queerness on my brownness on being a woman they were like okay you're like a really good golfer and that saved me a lot going through high school um, and and you know growing up because I was like oh okay like this is giving me space and empowerment empowerment in that like folks were seeing me as an an athlete and it's like that's dope like that is a very powerful you know label um, and then space because since I folks were so distracted by me being good at golf, um, I wasn't being hit with as much discrimination as I think I otherwise would have been. So I was able to kind of explore my identity on my own terms without it necessarily being reactive to um, slurs or discrimination of any sort. Um, And, you know, a lot of my positive experiences in high school and junior golf were really due to the fact that like my parents were there. This was like a a really, I mean, like the simple fact is, is like my parents were taking me to golf tournaments. Like they were always there. And so I was able to kind of be like, I felt safe. It was like this safety net there. So I didn't necessarily feel as terrified as I did when I turned professionally. And and then when I was alone on the golf course, and I didn't have this group of people that look like me, these, these people who I know support me standing in the wings, looking out for my golf balls. Um, so that kind of added this layer, this kind of bubble where I was able to really focus on golf and kind of shut out all the noise. Um, and so, yeah, like, I don't know, it, it was a, I was I was very fortunate to be able to grow in that way um but honestly it really wasn't until um when I turned professional where the discrimination became more blatant um it was like hey like I know I'm damn good I'm going to outdrive all of you like I'll, <laughs> I'll outplay all of you but why is it that now, when I'm not with my teammates, when it's just me stepping out on the golf course as an adult, as a you know, like a three-time All-American, I have like the bona fides? Why is it that now I'm feeling not welcome? Why am I hearing coaches um, that I know and who know me uh, making uh, xenophobic statements about immigrants? of which my parents are immigrants, right? Um, Why am I hearing these same coaches? Uh, This was, I believe, soon after um, Caitlyn Jenner came out. Um, I had coaches saying wildly transphobic things about Caitlyn. And like, yeah, Caitlyn's not a great person, but like, don't misgender, don't misidentify a person like that.
0: When did queer enter on the course with you? And what was your um, gut reaction when it did?
1: Yeah. So I was out in college, um, but I'm really grateful that I had a great, my teammates were incredible and I never felt like, I never felt that it was an issue. And and I'm so, so grateful for that. Um, But yeah, once again, it was when I turned professional where it really became an issue. and And I, you know, it felt I felt scared to bring my then girlfriend on the course with me. Like I was, you know, like hackles up, hyper vigilant, knowing that already I'm this brown girl um, who, you know, is a tomboy, who all of these things, um, who doesn't fit what golfers, especially female golfers, are supposed to look like, according to the hashtag golf babes. Um But so like, I'm already on edge. I already know that like, there is this certain level of performance of code switching that I already do to go to the golf course. But in that now adding a girlfriend on top of that, right. It makes my queerness even more visible. And I've already heard, um, tournament directors, um, fellow members at golf courses say, really you know like homophobic things towards um especially queer women right like the assumption that all women who play sports are dykes right
0: mm-hmm. And like yes
1: i do identify as a dyke but when somebody is putting that label on you in a derogatory way it's like not okay um and so that kind of like all created this atmosphere where it was like great you know, in the words of, to paraphrase uh, Mia Thermopolis from The Princess Diaries, I was like, "I'm brown, I'm a woman, and so now I'm visibly queer. Let's just add
0: that tiara on top of everything." <laughs> a quote from what you wrote in Athlete Ally. It was in 2016. You're on the Symmetra Tour, and you said, "Every time I went to a golf course, I felt unsafe." Remember, I remember the first time I felt this so vividly. I walked onto the tiered driving range one morning. I heard hearty laughs drift towards me, breaking the silence. There was a group of five people, including my swing coach, a person I trusted with everything. And I, I heard spiteful jokes about Middle Eastern and South Asian ethnicities peppered with homophobic sides. With every joke came a laugh, and with every laugh I tasted a sickly bile Rise in my throat as my stomach flipped. Hearing that now, what's the visceral response? And a follow-up to that is: was that that was that the moment when you said, "I don't know if I want this tour card."
1: I mean, it. Hearing it now, I just feel really sad because I, I remember that. Like I, I like I'm seeing that in my mind's eye and. I don't know, it's, it's hard. Like, I, I still feel really hurt. I mean, these instances, these experiences were kind of what drove me out of the sport. Um, just to say, it's like hearing that over and over and over again, which is, is what happened. Um, you know, like I had a really really severe mental breakdown because I didn't feel safe in the sport I loved. I was still working my ass off to be as good as I could be. But I was so, there was this part of my brain or like a huge part of me that's like on edge about the discrimination that I was facing, you know, constantly kind of being vigilant about that which obviously wasn't giving me as much brain space to be able to focus on my game. And then my game plateaued and just everything was so frustrating. So it wasn't that one time on the the range where I was like, you know, I, I gotta rethink this idea. It was an accumulation of experiences like that where I was seeing how much it was affecting my mental and emotional health, and in turn how that was basically fucking up my golf game and how though that was just wildly frustrating. Cause you're sitting there and I was like, I belong here. I know I'm good. Like I know that I am better than this. And everything is telling me that I don't belong in all of these different ways. Um, and so I, I mean, I really, really reluctantly step, stepped away from the sport, um, playing professionally, because of like trying to protect my mental health, um, but, you know, I, I still feel feel really sad, and I feel as if something was taken away from me. Um, and, you know, i'm I'm still redefining my relationship with golf now. Um, and i'm I'm lucky to have incredible friends. I'm gonna shout them out. Group Golf Therapy is a podcast with these three great guys who are all about, golf and mental health and inclusion. Um, Drew Westfall, Connor Lubestein, and Bradford Wilson. Um, And Liz Breed is another close friend who also played on the Symmetra tour. um, Who's doing a lot of work with um, instruction spaces. Random Golf Club is doing really cool things on Common Golf. So like, I have found this group of people that are have experienced similar discriminatory uh, things as I have, have similar kind of like hard feelings that we're all trying to process with golf, where I've been able to redefine my relationship
0: with the game. Would Um, you ever consider taking another bite at that apple?
1: Oh my God. Hell yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I would love to, obviously, I'm, I'm still in law school, so I have to get through this hump. But yeah, I mean, like I really would love to, um, because I miss it. Like I love the game so much. Like I love playing sports so much. and, yeah, I mean, i'm I miss it. I'm literally like all I do nowadays is wear like golf apparel. <laughs> which is really funny. I'm like, I golf guys, um, because I'm <laughs> well, I'm somewhere. learning. So but, I yeah. may
0: be hitting you up for golf lessons.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Now, and if you need lessons, I, again, I'm just so proud of my friends and like kind of the work that they're doing with inclusion in golf. Um, but Liz, who I'd mentioned earlier, Liz Breed, uh, she provides like online lessons and she is phenomenal. She talks just like me. She was like, golf is insane. We both have tattoos. We love golf and tattoos. But <laughs> if, if you or anybody listening no. is in need of a new swing coach, highly recommend Liz Breed.
0: Now, it's interesting that you mention that golf and tattoos, because following the late, following especially the LPGA tour a little bit. When I think of the LPGA, I still think of the fact that there is that viewpoint that this isn't marketable because the best players are from like South Korea and none of them speak English. Something that LPGA officials have said in the past. I still see this idea that players must look, uh, that there's still kind of like this ingrained idea that players must look a certain way. They have to dress a certain way. They have to be a certain way. I.e., very white or white adjacent, what needs to change, especially in the women's game to get to where, say the men's game was during the tiger phenomenon.
1: It's a hard question. Um, I mean, I think the first step is investing in women's golf. Um, The other day, truly still fuming about this um travis matthews which is a, a golf apparel company i if i'm not mistaken i believe they are under the callaway golf umbrella but they put out this post and they're like we're so excited to welcome our new brand ambassador chris pratt and i was talking to liz, liz and i were fuming because callaway has also previously sponsored um Colton Underwood from The Bachelor. Um, and it's kind of this thing where you're seeing a lot of these big golf brands basically sponsor anyone before they sponsor female golfers. Um, and, you know, getting sponsor, sponsorships, being able to even make a living on tour, like minimum wage on tour for a female golfer is, Next to impossible, like almost the majority of tour players, we have to buy our own clubs. Um, We have to pay for our own transportation and lodging. Whereas you see the guys on the PGA Tour, even those towards the uh, bottom of the money list are still getting significantly more sponsorships than anybody on the women's golf tours, you know, money talks like you need to put more money and into the women's game. And I don't think that just means increasing purse sizes. The U S women's open just uh increased the purse size to $10 million next year with the intent of going up to 15 million within by 2024, I believe. Um, And that's amazing. And When you don't have these uh, really big stakeholders in the world of golf, the Callaways, the Nikes, the PXGs, uh, like all of these folks, if you don't have them putting that same effort into female golfers, whether it be through sponsorships, through providing platforms on social media, then nothing is necessarily being moved forward.
0: In a sense, what we're seeing here is at one level, we're talking about the situation at the University of Pennsylvania, but also we're talking about all these other issues. Yeah. Issues that a lot of people that immediately want to jump on the transphobia train don't want to talk about, because you notice all these, all these people who talk about fairness for women, fairness for women, keep these trans, keep those biological males out of our sports. Don't talk about the things you're talking about here. They don't discuss that. Yeah. And having been on the Symmetra tour, there is someone who is a friend of, friend of the podcast who will Tell be talking about some, Haley stuff. Davidson. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So you already Fucking know. I love Haley. What, I adore Haley. <laughs> so do we here at the Transporter Room. We think Haley Davidson's awesome. And I'm, I'm looking forward to one day wearing the Haley Davidson golf line. If, you've, if you have a chance to talk to Haley, what are some things you would tell her as she's we, entering into? Oh, so you have, so you've say. had, a, so you've had a chance to kind of interface here.
1: We text a lot. Um, I, I love Haley, and I'm I'm very very grateful to uh, have become friends with her. Um, but yeah, we text a lot about this, um, and I don't know. I think that the fairness in women's sports thing is bullshit because fairness in women's sports means like title nine says, affording us all the same opportunities as the men do. Um, and you can't just segregate out a group of women from that because you have this really strict idea of femininity, which is not a thing. Um, and it's it's just shades of the same things that happened in various eras of sports inclusion, right? Like race, um, gen you know, like gender in the very first place that led to Title IX. Um, and it's just happening again. And so that's not fairness for women because you are excluding women um based off of some stupid idea you have about being a woman is defined by your chromosomes or your like hormone levels, which it's not. Um and I also think that like the biggest issue within women's sports, like if you're really talking about fairness in women's sports, it is um investment, like the ability to actually make money, like and not just kind of like scrounge around. Um, and most importantly, it's protections against abuse. Um, I think that, you know, we saw that come to the forefront um, with uh, Larry Nasser and, and women's gymnastics. Uh, and it, you know, it's sad that it took that long um, because so many of us who are in sports know how rampant abuse is from sexual abuse to uh, mental abuse emotional abuse um and it happens a lot like i my one of my college coaches uh mentally abused me mentally and emotionally abused me for a year my last year and i that's not unique to me a lot of the folks that i've played tournaments with have had similar experiences and yet that's not being talked about because that is that's what fairness in women's sports. That's what protecting women's sports is. It's not excluding a group of women from women's sports for, to serve just your discriminatory efforts. because that's if you're going to protect women's sports, you have to protect all women.
0: and trans women are women. Since we're coming into the home stretch, going to switch gears a little bit because after all, this is the transporter room. Which means we just don't talk about sports here. We also beam you up to talk about other stuff. And you were telling that. me before the show that, hey, sci-fi, gaming, nerd geek stuff, you're in all of it. And especially you're a Star Wars fan. So you're going to get the official Star Wars question I ask ever, anybody. Okay. You're being You're being led in to a giant George Lucas showroom. Okay. And... You can have the keys to any Star Wars vehicle. Any of them land, sea, air, space, whatever it is. You get to pilot it. You get the keys. What are you picking?
1: I think I want a land speeder. Like one, because you can use a land speeder on Tatooine or in the Forest of Endor. And I think that it's just the most versatile kind of vehicle that you can have because you can go on different planets. Whereas like an X-wing or like a slave, I would only be able to function at its prime within space. But like, what if you get on the ground and also land speeders just look really fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh... also, now that I'm, now that I'm saying that I completely changed my mind. Love a land speeder. I can't believe that I didn't say a pod racer.
0: Well, you're the first, you're the first land speeder we've gotten. You're the second pod racer we've gotten. Okay. Even though I can say, even though, I mean, with me, I will stick, I will be a T 65 all the way. I'm X wing all okay. out, but I'm just now favorite star Wars film. You're the Phantom Menace. I, All right, now you are the first person that says that their favorite was episodes one, two, or three. I you love, are the first a, one we've had who said their favorite the one, apologist. two, or three.
1: I I love the prequels. I think if I was going to rank the prequels, it would be episode one, episode three, and then episode two. And the reason why, I mean, one obviously I grew up with them. Like I. You know, I remember going to the theater for every episode one, two, and three, waiting outside in line to get tickets for the midnight release and everything. So in that way, very, very special place in my heart. But also, I think it's just because, like, there's so much joy in them. Like, it's just, like, not taking it too seriously. Like, it's obviously a very serious storyline when you're talking about Darth Vader. But it's also not taking it incredibly serious. And there's this kind of like magic of world building there. Um, Like in episode one, you have the Gungans, right? You go to the center, you go through the core on Naboo. When are you going to see like these insane creatures and, you know, Liam Neeson, (laughs) Ewan McGregor, um, and Ahmed Best going through this weird uh, bubble-like ship. Um, You have the joyous occasion of the parade at the end of uh, episode one, uh, Naboo, uh, which is really similar to, what was it, Um, A New Hope, or was it Empire Strikes Back, where there was the medal ceremony? But it kind of evoked that. New Hope. New Hope. New Hope. Um, and then the pot racing scene—I mean, it's just so much fun. And I think for me, when what I really love about sci-fi is the fact that you can have so much fun. It's kind of like this childish wonder, like this package of childish wonder, where you're able to have these really, really complex and, and poignant uh, commentaries on society on politics and things like that because i mean like the prequels are all literally about trade conflict that give rise to the empire um but then you have like lightsaber battles you have darth maul getting cut in half you have pod racers you have jar jar binks who is now a senator um so I, I mean, like I love the prequels. I I think they're they're just magical and fun, and they don't take themselves too seriously, which I think is great.
0: With that in mind, favorite character from the prequels: Amidala, Padme.
1: She she deserved more. She like deserved so much more in Revenge of the Sith, um, but really. I'm such a nerd that I've read like all of the expanded universe books. Same, and, like <laughs> so. G- She's like the character of Padme is like brilliant. I mean, like a queen at fourteen, she knows what the hell is going on. She can hold herself in a Geonosian like gladiator battle. Um, yeah, and takes no shit. And I think that's like it's an, a really, really. Amazing female character that did not get as much as she deserved, um, and I think that my follow-up, my second uh, favorite character um, in the whole of the Star Wars universe, would have to be Ahsoka Tano for almost the same reasons as Padme.
0: One, see, and that's one thing. That, that's one thing about Star Wars. Even the characters that you think are like that, most people would see as secondary. There's still not a lot of richness to them. And you yeah. and in many ways you that's one thing I like about the expanded universe novels, because oftentimes those characters got a lot more. Oh yeah. One of, one of my favorite characters is Senator Mamathma, And oh, yeah. never got screen time really until Rogue One. That was the first time that Which, she, she really in, got screen, yeah. got a lot of extended screen time. But in the novels, she's everywhere. Did you read? um there's an
1: anthology series uh, called Tales from Jabba's Palace.
0: Yes, it, very good. Well is, recommended. Love
1: that book so much all i have ever i need to reread it but all i've ever wanted is like a half hour workplace comedy based off of tales from java's palace because (laughs) all like it's so good and don't get me wrong i'm absolutely watching uh the book of boba fett because i am too you know asian-led cast with tamura morrison and mignol Wen, so i love that um but every time i've watched it i'm like we could have had tales from Jabba's palace, and I want that too. Like, <laughs> give me,
0: give me Salacious Crumb doing like his nonsense in the background. No, as you mentioned that quickly. Your thoughts on this? Con- it seems like there's this continuing conundrum. It shouldn't be to us, and it, and I don't think it is to most thinking sci-fi fans. But there's still the group that says, "Where did all these?" Where did all these others come from? How did they get, why does it have to be all political? Why does the new Superman have to be bi? Why? 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 What's your thoughts on just that? There's still this strumb and drang about, even about fantasy worlds. Well, sci-fi and fantasy and comics
1: have always been political. Like, Star Wars is literally about overturning a fascist regime,
0: and so, which is so so something we may funny have to learn from. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was just about to say there are so many people who are like QAnon folks who are like, we love Star Wars, and it's like, you are the Empire. Like, do you really see yourselves? as... No, like what? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I think sci-fi and fantasy have always been political and they are made up worlds. So like, why is it okay to have like Twi'leks and Gamorreans and all of that, but it's not okay to have a woman or, you Mm -hmm. know, like an Asian person or a black, like black person. Like now,
0: now my, you know what that's about. Remember ET moved in the neighborhood. People loved him. Black folks moved in your neighborhood. You want to burn yeah, them out of it. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Unless you're Samuel L. Jackson and have a purple lightsaber. That is like, apparently, oh, yeah. that's. See that's, no- okay. see, see, that's another one I want to see some future. I want to see a Mace Windu series. Because technically, I be- I'm, a- yeah. I'm one of those people that believes Mace is not dead. We don't, we don't know. Remember.
1: He just fell out of a window.
0: He fell out of a window. Come on. The four he could have force stop that. Just saying. Yeah.
1: But also, it's like a long way down to the bottom floor of Coruscant. Like, there's no way he wouldn't have been able to jump onto it. Like in sorry, totally cutting <laughs> off track. But like in Attack of the Clones, remember how Anthony? And Obi Wan are like on um, the Bounty Hunter speeder, like going all the way through Coruscant. Um, what, like, that can happen. So obviously, Mace Windu, who is a Jedi master, would conceivably be able to do the same thing.
0: Coming into a home stretch, last question, because we've talked about so much stuff. And again, it, it was great <laughs> having you here. <laughs> You will graduate with an Ivy League law degree this spring. What's next? What's the next avenue for Maya Reddy?
1: Um, I mean, the whole reason why I went to law school is to kind of work in sports inclusion. Like, all I've ever wanted to do is kind of work in sports inclusion for queer and trans folks. Um when I got to, you know, every time somebody asked me, what do you want to do? I'm like, gay sports stuff, because <laughs> that's that's really what I want to do. Um, and I've been really lucky to get to work with the the folks, the Athlete Ally and Lieberman. They're a force and they keep saying to not call them an icon, but they are. Um, with the incredible folks at um, the National Center for Lesbian Rights um, and Lambda Legal um, and who are all working on these issues of sports inclusion within policy advocacy as well as litigation. Um, And that's what I want to do. Like I want to use my personal experiences in playing sports and as a queer woman of color along with my The knowledge that I'm getting from law school um, to 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 fight more for sports inclusion,
0: Um,
1: yeah,
0: that's what I want to (laughs) do. It sounds like you'd be good at it, but one thing, let's say it's third week of January, say 2024 or 2025. Mm -hmm. Hilton Tournament of Champions, Orlando, it's Sunday. You got a TV pairing. Jessica Corda, Haley Davidson. And returning to the tour, entering this final round from Redding, California, Maya Reddy. Do you see that in your future? And if so, what would it be like for you if it came to pass?
1: I mean, I don't not counting anything out, and I, I think that I mean it's the dream come true to to be playing on tour, to play. yeah, I mean, like I've played in a a bunch of Monday qualifiers for that. so i I know what it's like to play on on tournament ready courses with um you know like LPGA tour players but to be in contention like that like dream control um so not counting it out you know never say never um and i think that i don't know when you were saying that i'm like yeah i want to see haley out there too like i just want to see her kicking ass and if i'm not there um that's you know like she's who i'm rooting for to kick ass on on tour And I'll be living vicariously through her.
0: No matter what direction you go in, I have a feeling you're going to be kicking some ass and you're going to be getting a lot of things done. Maya Reddy, thank you for being on the transporter room this week. Thank you so much for having me. And you're not quite done with law school yet. So we're going to beam you back down (laughs) so you can keep studying. Thanks again to Maya Reddy for being on the transporter room. And thanks to all of you for being a part of the transporter room for being our supporters second show for 2022 and like i said at the beginning of the year there's more to come but if there's something you want to see or something you want to say about what we're doing here by all means leave a message on our twitter page leave a message on our facebook or leave a message at our instagram presence transporter room 10 Forward. Because remember, everything I do at The Transporter Room, I do it for all of you, the people who support The Transporter Room. And that is the podcast for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper and study as she goes. I'll catch you all next week.